Does your broker tell you they're managing your retirement money on a daily basis? Really? So when they're on vacation, how does that work? Do they have computers doing their job for them? Is that reliable money management? Is it time you learned how to have reliable retirement income, keeping your principal, and protect your gains with a higher income strategy? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halabi. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm Eric Pallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances. Of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. When I talk to folks across the spectrum, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It's funny how many people think they are in the middle class. You, you might be right, but it's interesting. I've never met somebody, and we have clients that have you know, $10 million plus, right? Tens of millions. I'm middle class. I'm upper middle class. Upper middle class. And there are folks that might have $20,000 saved. I'm I'm in I'm middle class, maybe towards the lower end, still middle class. You see that's unique in this country. Most countries have a very clear definition between upper uh, class, upper income, upper income wealth bracket if you will, and the lower. I always find that fascinating because whenever we come across people usually Democrat politicians, that'll say they want to tax the rich. Everybody nods and goes, yeah, yeah, we should get those people. It's never, nobody ever asks, so who would that be? Is that me? Is that my grandparents who saved their whole life? My grandparents who who have wealth but who have sacrificed so that their children and grandchildren could live in a comfortable area in a, in a good zip code in a place where I don't have to worry uh, uh where there's, well, let's just say concerns about their safety. I don't know. Maybe that's the right thing to say or not. But but you understand? So people will sacrifice so that they don't have to have that as a concern. So, so in fact, what happens? Simple. They've gained wealth because they've done the right thing. They're not consuming stuff and buying things on debt. So, in fact, they become part of the rich. So when they say, let's go get them, let's go tax the rich, none of you ever look at your grandparents and say, oh, yeah, you go get grandma, go get Uncle Joe. Those people who drive a, a 2017 Ford pickup, it's a nice pickup, but it's still, you know, seven, eight years old. Okay, yeah. He, he's the wealthy one. He's the rich one. All of you think the rich guy that we're going to go after is the person that, that drives the Mercedes 
uh, Maybach, right? The the very fancy S550 or the uh, lives over there, you know, over there, there. Yeah, yeah. That zip code, that hill, that mountain, their house looks like this. She carries that handbag. He wears those types of suits, right? You all think those are the people they go after. I'm going to tell you, ready for this? I know this is going to shock you. 100% not true. 100%. You understand that? Here's why. Because those folks, those people, have corporations and companies and entities. You know how many uh, actors and actresses in Hollywood that we have as clients that don't own anything? It's their corporations. When they buy a car, it's their producer, their manager, their business manager, their CPA that owns the car or that picks it up for them and buys it for them. And then they just come outside their front door and there's the new car. You see, many of those people aren't even California residents. How many of the Mark Wahlbergs and, uh, you know, Dennis, the rock, right? These people, how many of them live in Hollywood? Very few, right? Madonna lives in Europe. You have uh, all, all of these folks. Now they might have a second home here, but on purpose, right? They spend less than six months here. And so it's not their residence. Their residence is Nevada. Their residence is uh, Arizona or or Tennessee or Colorado or or Florida or Texas. It it isn't here. My point is, it's you guys that are the ones that are going to be left holding the bag, right? That that reference comes from the old bank robbery days. Come running out of the bank robbery and the person holding the bag is the one that gets in trouble. Everybody else is like, I have no idea what just happened. I know I'm wearing a mask, but I thought it was, you know, early for Halloween. That person is the one with the evidence. They're holding the bag. So the reference is you're the one who gets stuck with all the problems. You're the one who gets punished for your wealth and success, even though you think you're middle class. Because all of you think you are, everybody thinks they're middle class. It's fascinating to me. I started doing, you know, I like to do little surveys. Of course, most of you never know that these are going on because I just ask questions and I learn. And over the last 27, 28 years as a financial professional now, I sit down with you and one of the, there's many questions I ask and where it guides me is how do you spend your money? What do you think you are? Do you think you're middle-class or wealthy? I think I've had one person who sold his company for just under a hundred million who said that he thought he was wealthy now. I said, when did it change? He said, probably right after about $20 million is when I thought I was wealthy. After I sold my company, it pushed me well up over that. And yet you would grab anybody off the street, almost anybody, and say, if you had $5 million, do you think yourself to be wealthy? Oh, yeah. $20 million. Oh, yeah. $2 million. Oh, really close. Right? There, there are so many people who will make millions of dollars in their lifetime. And in the end, will have not a lot to show for it. Many of you think, oh, I don't make that much money. Well, $50,000 a year times 20 years is a million dollars. Now, I get it. You had to pay for your dry cleaning and your food, your electric bill and your, your rent. Yeah, mortgage, car, gas. I just paid nearly $7 a gallon for gas this week. That's exciting. 
So, so it isn't inexpensive. But in the end, who worked for you? Because the gas station kids, don't worry, they're going to go to a great college. Oh, oh, the lady that owns the dry cleaner, they've got an amazing vacation planned. Who? All, all these people are grateful that you're working your tail off. But who's working for your retirement? Who's working for you? That's the question. And so the objective of having some or part of your money in a place where we can get guaranteed rates of return because the purpose of the money is to live, not to accumulate. So what if you have $10 million sitting in your drawer or in a bank account and you live like a pauper? You're selfish, you're stingy, you're greedy, right? I I don't want you to be any of those things, but many people are because the behaviors they had when they had $100 is the same behaviors they have at 100,000 or a million or 5 million. You see, you are the one that has to be worked on, not your savings. In America today, the ability to become successful and make a lot of money and become wealthy is easier than ever. Not harder than ever, easier than ever where you can enjoy life where you can have freedom right even the united auto workers are saying we want to be paid for 40 hours but we want to work 32 or 35 hours a week they're like wait a second you're the united auto workers you have four you want a 40 percent pay raise four zero 40 percent pay raise auto workers and You want to work 32 or 35 hours a week, not 40. So you want to be paid for 40, but you want to work 32. I don't know how many people are sympathetic with that. I'm not sure. It's part of the reason a lot of the companies have moved to the Indianas and the Tennessees, the Ohios. They moved their factories out of the union-heavy Ohios, uh, uh, Michigans, Indianas, and, and moved to the more friendly Kentuckys as far as for workers, right? The dues that workers pay are enormous. I don't know the benefit uh, of a union. Maybe it's great, maybe it isn't. But I know the United Auto Workers are kind of putting a thumb in the eye of the American consumer by asking for a 40% pay raise to work less than 40 hours a week. It's very weird to me. Like, how do you do that with a straight face? How can you do that and say, I deserve it? Well, they'll say things like, look, I'm, you don't understand. We haven't had a pay raise in four years, three years, six years. Got it. Yeah. You remember the thing called the China virus? Yeah. Do you realize that shut down the world? Okay. So that, that was something. The companies have record profits. That's none of your business. It's not, if they manage their company well or don't, this isn't a socialist system. And that goes for everybody that, that thinks that they deserve more. Listen, I, I'm okay with it. If you think you deserve more pay, you go out and start a company. You go get a second job, get a third job, get rid of that job and get a different job. This is America. Don't let them buy into this idea that, that you need them. And without them, you would be nothing. And you're, you're coming to them with your hat in your hand and a little tin cup. Can I have another, please? may have another, right? You guys aren't Tiny Tim. If you don't like it, go get a different job. Today, you can work from home. Today, people work from their little makeshift RV called a minivan in the middle of the the Colorado highlands, right? In In the middle of the forest. And they make money. 
My point is, if people don't work at these jobs, they will pay you more money because they want to keep you. But when everybody's begging to, no, no, enslave me, no, 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 put me on. No, I want to be an indentured servant. Get out of the way. And then they stand on their high horse like the days of New York, where he says, I only need three men. I'll take you and you and you, the rest of you, tomorrow. So many of you clamor for that. Well, back then, before they had the internet and before they had the system the way it is, that's what you had to do. Today, start a company, build, build something of your own nobody can take from you. That's my point. I, I see these folks going out and begging, and, and uh, maybe it's not begging. I don't know. Listen, I was a union shop steward for, for many years for the, for the police department. That was my job. I was on the pension subcommittee. I get it. I liked it. It's a little bit different, but not much. Go get a job at a different agency if you don't like this one. Right? Very difficult for people to realize that the unions have a job to do, but it's really pretty much outdated. Now that everybody can get health insurance, now that everybody has guaranteed family leave, now that everybody can get any job from any place at any time, then you don't need a union to negotiate those things that the government has now mandated. In fact, it's the Democrat Party that has kind of made most unions obsolete. Isn't that ironic? So why do I share this with you is because I want you to grab a hold of some of these statistics because here's where they start to collide. You see, as companies are, uh, as unions and employees are making it more difficult to, to do business in California or the United States or these unionized states, what are we seeing? Well, we used to see companies go to Japan. Remember that in the 50s, 60s, 70s? Companies would go to Japan, made in Japan. Oh, that was junk. And then Japan started turning out amazing automobiles. Japan started turning out amazing electronics. Sony, Hitachi, right? Amazing. And we're like, ooh, that's quality. And then somehow in whatever period of time, short, maybe a year or two or five, very quickly, Japanese products became junk to the top of the line in almost every industry that they touch. Remember that? So people started shifting. Companies started shifting to buying to China. Oh, it's Chinese cheap junk. Oh, it's Chinese. Oh, it's made in China. Oh, it's going to break. Remember those jokes? Now China is turning out some pretty high quality items. Still not things that I would buy because I don't want to support the Chinese Communist Party if I can help it. So I will spend a little bit more money, maybe go out to dinner one less time a month, whatever it is, to buy something else if I can that's made in the United States, Canada, or Mexico. Now listen, the People's Republic of Canada isn't a whole lot different right now under Mr. Trudeau, but things are, are less money now. Because the delta, the, the, the ability to ship it across the ocean costs gasoline. And the Biden administration has ensured, and Gavin Newsom has ensured, that you are paying 6 $7 a gallon for gas. That is truly only one person, one group of people, one political party. This isn't a mystery now, like, oh, we're there's multiple geopolitical, I'm smart, you're not. Big word, big word. I'm going to use a big word. So that you just sit in your little chair and pay your extra $7 a gallon. 
these geopolitical strategies across the board that are impacting the supply and demand. Do you see what I'm saying? And then you tune, tune out and you go, well, I guess I'm dumb. I'm going to be the slave for the next day. Next, click. So I want you to realize right now at this moment in history, it's the Democrat Party, it's the Biden administration, and it's Gavin Newsom. How do I know that? Go to Mississippi. Go to uh, Indiana. And look, you're going to spend two, three dollars less per gallon. You realize if you have a 40-gallon tank and you go through one tank of gas per week, that's 120, that's six, seven thousand dollars a year that would be in your pocket. And remember, that's post-tax money. So you actually have to earn seven or eight or nine thousand dollars a year to pay your taxes. And get your five or six thousand back in your pocket to go buy your gasoline. So the Biden administration, the Gavin Newsom administration, are charging you through the nose. Well, if you buy in the in the United States or as close as possible, then you're going to end up saving a little bit, or should theoretically saving a little bit because you don't have to pay the fuel cost to get it across the ocean. Okay. So what's happened? Remember, Japan shifted to China. China has shifted now. Where? To Vietnam and the Philippines. Malaysia, Singapore. The shifting that's occurred has moved a lot of this production outside of China. And that's scaring the daylights out of China. You know that? It is. Because right now, 22% unemployment on that young demographic the men between the age of let me get you this right between the age of i want to say 16 is what they start at which is a little odd and young for us yes yeah, 16 to 24 years old the young males from 16 to 24 years old 23 percent unemployment okay why does that age and that that uh, gender matter well, one, because they're military fighting age. Two, remember, you have 18-year-olds fight wars, not 58 years old. Because they take direction. They're usually more courageous. They usually have less fear when it comes, uh, certainly less logic. Go take that hill. Well, it looks like they're shooting at us. Doesn't matter. You can do it. You're strong and brave. Yes, I am. Go get them. Right? A 58-year-old will go, hmm, have we talked to them yet? Have we thought about this? You see where I'm going with it. It's a lot easier to, to get excited, this younger generation. Well, that's what's happened. China now has 23%. That means one out of four, basically, of every Chinese man, which, by the way, is a lot of them. You understand this one-child policy. When you were only allowed to have one child you because you wanted to carry out your name, if you didn't have a male, then you didn't have your, your family name continue. So what ended up happening in kind of a weird way, I guess, is the women became more valuable because for every woman, you had four, five, six guys. So the, the, instead of carrying your family name, a young woman had her pick of the litter, if you will. She could go to each gentleman. She could ask for a dowry, which is what they did. I want to help your parents out. So instead of the man going to work and creating wealth for the family, which is often what happens because you would pass the wealth up. In America, we're passing the wealth down, but in a lot of Asian cultures, they pass the wealth to their parents. 
Well, when you have a man, he's going to make more money than a woman in their culture. Speaking in general, of course. But they had nobody to marry. And so the women became pretty valuable. And so they said, listen, if you want to marry my daughter, it's going to cost you an apartment in the center of Beijing. Because of that dowry system, right? Remember, they're still very tribal in, in China. Very tribal. I mean, they wear suits and ties but and drive nice cars, but they're still tribal in the sense that if you take a look at the different villages across the nation of China, they look the same. This tribe is short and round-faced. This tribe has tribe has is taller with high cheekbones and on and on. They're very homogeneous in the sense of the way they look. And that across China has become a detriment. Because if a, if a city has 60 or 70% or 80% men, where do they get the females to marry? And women, you, you know this intuitively. Some of you will speak it out loud, some won't. But generally speaking, you civilize us men. You, you, you civilize us. You, you make us better. That's, that's undoubtedly true. You make us uh, just a better version of ourselves. We're, we're more of a protector. We're less selfish. Those things are required for a solid society to move forward. So China started bringing these young men, women from North Korea. I've talked about this before. They're bringing them from North Korea. Well, the problem is they'll have one or two children, then they'll escape with all the money. Because remember, there was the dowry system. And in North Korea, everybody's broke, except for the very, very top. So they can ask for something that seems like it, it isn't very much. And the, the Chinese uh, middle class person will say, oh my gosh, I'll give that to you. Well, in the middle of the night, there's there's this uh, like underground railroad where these women and their one or two children because now the China policy is two children, not one, after they've seen India and other countries pass them or come close to them in population. So that shifting is now what we have as a problem. Are, do you have any money or a dowry when you don't have a job? Do you have the ability to pay your wife's family, whether from North Korea or from another part of China, when 25%, one out of, one out of four, uh, effectively, are unemployed, right? When you have that much turmoil, the regime is scared, and rightfully so, because all that testosterone with nobody to calm and civilize us, all that testosterone with no job or worth, uh, net worth uh, from our, our, our life, Right, I, I bring value to my family when I was young because I could go out and produce and provide a home. And for four years, we, had, we, weren't, we didn't have children when we were married. So my wife would go out and produce and we had a home. So we built our savings. We built our, our family, our home, a physical, right? Physical home. Well, well, when you don't have a job and you don't have a wife, the women can get jobs in a minute so that you know. But the men, there's too many of them. So what is China doing? So they're scared. So what does that do? Well, I think that's going to push these men into different facilities. Now that the jobs are leaving China, right? Factories are leaving China and going to Vietnam, Philippines, Mexico, uh, Malaysia, etc., Canada. 
and you have this unemployment that's hitting them at a pretty record rate, I think you're going to see some challenges. How does that impact you? Because America still makes things that sends to China. As much as this saber rattling that occurs economically and, and militarily between our two nations, they still buy a lot of American goods. The higher end things, the, the higher quality items. Okay, that's a big deal when you are somebody who works in the United States and shipping things overseas. Now, listen, new markets in Vietnam are coming up. So you own a company in Indiana, you have a chance of selling items, believe it or not, in the jungles of Vietnam. Pretty wild. Because the real middle class in Vietnam are starting to grow. And they're the ones that consume things, right? Poor, poor, uh, Stratits, uh, stratifiers, oh, striations, what's the right word? Poor groups in, in India, they want food, shelter, clothing. That's it. Vietnam, same thing. But when you start this middle class and it starts to grow and it starts to become something, they start to consume things. Now they have one car instead of two bicycles. Now they have two cars instead of one. Now they have a television or a couch they take vacations. They like jewelry. Items that are above the food, shelter, clothing. And that is what America is all about. So that's why the change is happening. Where you retire and where you live, it's going to be a function of the exports, believe it or not. It's not just the consumption in the United States. So when we come back after the break, I'm going to talk about where you find a place to live. It's not what you think. How do you find the right place to live in retirement, especially if you're retiring in your 50s or 60s. If you're retiring in your 75, 85, then probably where you are is where you're going to stay. So we're going to get in and talk about that when we come back. 888 retire my phone number, 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. Stay with me. I'll be right back. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Arab Halabi, the total financial hour. Talking about your family's financial life, look, getting out of debt, managing money. I wanted to give you that that big thousand or thirty thousand foot view, right? That's the the viewpoint of the international stuff because today it isn't just about our region. You know, it used to be just your neighborhood. Remember, it was just your neighborhood, then your state, and then now your your region, Western United States, Southern, Southwestern, Eastern Corridor. Remember that? Now it's the nation, now it's international. And it is for a lot of reasons. It is because it's very simple to do things now internationally very quickly, because time is everything. When suddenly uh, Columbus came across the New World, instead of having a, an un- uh, no idea when he would come through... And when he would return, you know, people set up a time frame and said, hey, listen, he's going to go and come back. It'll be three months. That was relatively quick. 
right? We're seeing it with space now. Something just landed after seven years. Soon it will be three years, two years, and then four months, and then 30 days, and somebody will go and come back and to Mars, and you'll say, oh, where'd you go for your weekend? Oh, I went to Mars, right? That might be your great-grandchildren's generation. But you can see that same concept, you know, through space now. Now nationally and internationally, right? I remember I was in, uh, we took our one big year vacation. We went to Europe. I remember I was on the air the next day that I returned, right? I returned on a Saturday uh, early afternoon and I was on the air with you on Sunday. And I'm thinking, you know, yesterday morning I had breakfast in England. <laughs> that's, that's odd when you think about this how quickly you can do something so uh, so far away. So that's why there's a national and an international pressure on your financial life, because it's going to impact you. So now let's go down to the state level. How do you decide what state? Now, I'm grateful we have listeners all across this country, from Ohio and Indiana all the way through to Tennessee and, and uh, the South Mississippi. I know we have some in Carolinas and, and Florida. So we have listeners all throughout the Western United States and Utah, Nevada, and Arizona, et cetera, Texas. So I want to talk about, some of you are going to be mad because you're going to say, oh, great, thanks, Eric, if you're sending more people our way. It's not me. I'm just the, what do they say? Don't shoot the messenger, right? I'm just the messenger. So I want to go over how you decide what state or even what region, but really what state to live in because California has such a lock on its control over this six, you know, six dollars and ninety cent, seven dollar gallon gas. I saw a, a post just this morning. Gasoline in Middle Tennessee was three dollars and twenty cents. Georgia was in the two dollar range, you know, two fifty. I remember my daughter who lives in another state said, "Dad, we got so upset when it went past two dollars. It was a dollar eighty nine, dollar ninety. Now it's in two twenty, two forty. Can you imagine that?" Right, and, and here we are at $7 a gallon gas. Their goal is to force you to ride a bicycle or to drive an electric car, even though we have no means whatsoever to replace or reuse or dispose of those batteries that are some of the most toxic. Listen, you can have 10 EV car batteries and the, the volume of toxic material is greater than a nuclear power plant's uh, uh, material size-wise and the damage is much, much, much greater because the mining of the lithium has produced such damage to the water supply and the air supply and the soil supply in the, in the region in which those minerals are mined and those uh, materials are mined. It's horrible. And for the foreseeable future, decades, China will control that. Do you want Cal OSHA? Right with the 17 layers of environmental protection from the city, the county, the state, this agency, that agency. Oh, you're close to the water. We're going to have this agency. How many of you are businesses close to the water and you know, oh, well, you're close to a waterway, so we have the national waterway and something, something. Do you think China has any of that? You think they could care less about the environment? And some of you are buying electric cars. Look, I considered solar for my home. I considered an electric car for lots of reasons, right? The rebate, et cetera. And I had to look in the mirror and say, this is an integrity thing. I think it is evil for the environment. Not neutral, not good, but evil 
for the environment, the way it currently stands. You tell me how to do it differently, I'm good with you. But when you took natural gas offline, you took coal-powered plants offline, and you said, we're going to give you electricity whenever the sun shines and the wind blows. Can, can you understand how much you are, you're kind of putting yourself on a trap? So $7 a gallon gas is their way of punishing people that are not going in line with them. That's what they do. Because do you understand the city, the county, these government workers? Many of you are government workers. You know you don't pay for your own gas. You don't pay for your car. I see you going down the street with the special license plates. I see you driving on the highways at 72 miles an hour with the symbol of L.A. City or L.A. County or DWP on the side of your car. I know you don't pay for the gas. I know you take your kids to the soccer game and you go shopping with those cars. Listen, you're not evil people. I'd like you as a client because I can help you. But I won't participate in that system. It's, an, it's a moral thing for me. Right? I'm not perfect. I will make a hundred mistakes every day. I get it. I'll make mistakes. But when I can stand up, shame on me for not. When you can stand up. Shame on you for not. Because that's the only way you're going to defeat the system in California. If you're going to move, great, move. Many of us have contemplated that. You guys will ask me, well, gosh, I don't know. I have a great company here. I have a, a building that we own that we, we operate out of. We have a successful business, however long that lasts, God willing. But I think if you participate in the solar world or the battery car, the car battery, listen, I think you, you're participating to a worse world, not a better world. When the men and women that pull the oil and the natural gas have government jobs, uh, union jobs, pay raises, uh, uh, safety equipment, living wages that pay for their family. Some of you will like unions. That's great. They're all unionized. They're men and women that have safety concerns are met. So what, what would you choose, right? The men and women that are paid great wages that can support their family and put their kids through college or whatever educational system they want. And it happens to be oil and gas or coal even, right? Entire towns have been decimated by the Democrat policies, and some of the rhino Republicans. Don't leave them out. I think, I think they've made huge mistakes. You have to plan and protect for yourself. It doesn't matter your industry. I can help. 888-99-RETIRE. Let me give you my phone number. It's TFS Financial Insurance Services. 888-888-997-3847. Okay, 888-99-RETIRE. How do you decide... Where to live? Let me give you kind of my list of what I think works. Okay, number one, I want you to do the research to decide what is the fiscal, that means the financial wherewithal, health of that state. What's the fiscal status of the state in which you want to move to? Are they paying their long-term bills? Forget their short-term bills. Their long-term bills. Things like pensions and bonds. A bond is where the, the city, county, state will borrow money, and if it's a revenue bond, they will use revenue, which means a tax, to pay it back. So you think you're getting a new water system or library or roads or bridges, whatever, 
And if it says revenue bond, you might think, oh, that sounds good. They forget to tell you that means you're just going to pay for it and higher taxes somewhere. Now, the state of California absconds that money. They take it and they do other things with it. Can you say the lotto? Many measures and propositions are lies, period, in the state of California. Right? Things like the train to nowhere, this high-speed train, which was supposed to be $30 billion and is now over $100 billion. So they lie to you because they know it. I've met with these people in Sacramento. They know they are dishonest. You need to understand that. It isn't an oops. They know they are lying about it. But they think it's for the greater good. They know they're lying about uh, cars and solar power. And they know they are hurting children in, in overseas. But it's for the greater good. Those children are part of a solution. Their legacy is a clean world with poison water and cancer and deaths before they're 25. But don't worry, you got your little electric car and get to go in the fast lane. Oh, 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 and the carpool lane. That's awesome. Thank you, little Chinese hand, for finding that lithium. So what's the fiscal state of that state. What's the what's the status? Are they paying their bills, pensions, bonds? That's one way to decide where to move. Second, how are they paying for this? Right? Because every state has those expenses that I outlined. Every state needs new water treatment plants. They need new, new bridges and roads. So how are they paying for it? Some states choose to have an income tax, higher income tax, low property tax, low sales tax. Some states will say, no, what we have or what we want is very low or even no income tax, like like Tennessee and Nevada, Texas, no income tax, but they still have bridges and water treatment centers. So how do they pay for those? Well, they do so with property tax. So for example, if you buy a house in California, in Los Angeles, let's say the LA County, and it's a million dollar house just for the sake of numbers, you're probably paying somewhere in the neighborhood of about 10,000 maybe or so per year in taxes, 10 or 12,000 a year in taxes for a million dollar house. It depends on your, your location, et cetera, but you get the idea. If you buy that same million dollar house in some of the beautiful outskirts of Dallas, you're probably paying 15000 a year in taxes, $1,200 a month. So you have to be clear. When do your taxes get paid off? When do your property taxes, when is it over? Never. So wherever you go, if you have a forever expense like property taxes, you need to have an income stream that, guess what, lasts forever. You can't say, well, I have $200,000 left on my home price, on my home. So when I pay it off, it's over. I don't have to worry about it. Well, that's true. That $1,500 a month or $1,200 a month house payment, yeah, that's gone as soon as it's paid off. So you may not need forever guaranteed income because your house will be paid off when you sell this home or go to sell your vacation home or move to a new place. I got it. But property taxes never go away. And by the way, they almost always go up. So if you're going to do something like that, that's where we fit in. 
I say, listen, you can move to Tennessee or Texas where property taxes are high. I get it. But because they never go away, we need to have income that never goes away. Okay, so I like that. How are they paying for it? Sales tax, by the way. Right? Washington State does not have an income tax. Did you know that? Washington State. But they have a pretty good size sales tax. But Oregon has no sales tax. Think about that for a second. Now, besides the corrupt politicians in the state that have ruined one of the most beautiful cities, Portland, because they're cowards, we know that. They didn't want to go up against the Antifa or the Black Lives Matter mob. So how do you build your success? Many of you are going to Southern Oregon or, or Eastern Oregon. It's beautiful. They don't have a sales tax. That's exciting, but they do have an income tax. So what you would have is people in Southern Washington, like Vancouver, would go and buy their higher expense items over the border. They would buy their dishwashers, washing machines, you know, televisions, the more expensive items. So if you were a retailer on the Washington, Oregon border, you were, you thought this was crummy. Like this stinks because I can't sell my items because over the border, it's less money. People just go 15 minutes. They come back and they saved hundreds of dollars. So my understanding is some of those border counties have exemptions for that reason so that people wouldn't have to go over the border to pay for, to to buy things and retailers could exist on the Washington state side of the border. But that's a good example when you have this unequal, uh, I guess, taxation between these two areas. You see it a lot in Arizona and Nevada. People will live right on the border right? The northern border of Mesquite, Nevada, no income tax. And they'll go up, but sales tax is higher in Nevada, by the way. So then they will go up into southern Utah to buy items or to go and do certain things where there's no sales tax or at least pretty low sales tax, right? So this conversation, all right. Number three, is the state corporation or company friendly? In other words, do they encourage companies to come in or do they encourage companies to leave? Because the the greater success a state like Nevada has, for example, in its gaming, right? Try to stay in a hotel there for a conference. You'll pay as much in all these fees as you do in the same thing with uh, the world of uh, just, just the room rental. Right, You see staying overnight fee, resident fee, bed fee, city fee, county tax, city tax. I mean, you know, when you look at that, what do you, what do you think? Like, wait a second, the room is $150 a night and my taxes are $127 a night. What? But the people that live there, they think this is great because it is corporation friendly. You can like it or not, depending on, I guess, what side of the spectrum you're on if you're visiting... Vegas or Henderson, or if you live there. If you live there, those people are paying for your life. That's why you don't have a high sales tax. That's why you don't have a high income tax. In fact, you have no income tax. So are they corporation or company friendly? Hotels and casinos happen to pay for Nevada's uh, expenses, right? Their, their bridges and roads and et cetera. 
Now, how about a, a ranking? Can you see if companies are moving in? So look, the IRS has all of this data and they give it away for free. You have to sift through it or you can go to certain websites that compile this data for free. Are people moving in? Are people moving out? Are companies moving in? Are companies moving out? So all of this data is available and you can track it and you can look to see. Is the state more red? Which means people are leaving. It's not the red and blue, it's red and green. Is it revenue neutral, right? Where it's kind of a pinkish or a greenish light, light? Or is it dark green, which means more money's coming in? Well, you can guess that states like Texas and Florida are hugely green, right? They're bringing in lots of businesses, lots of money. So if a company, if a state is company or corporation friendly, guess what? They will also have jobs, which means those jobs provide income. And that person who makes money building dishwashers or washing machines or cars will now take his or her money and turn around and buy, you know, go out to dinner and go to the nail salon and go get their dry cleaning done and go to the grocery store and on and on and on that same dollar circulates, circulates, circulates. So if a state is company friendly, I like it. It's a great way to bring in revenue. Now here's the fourth one and one of the most important. Do they tax your way of making money? You see some states like California, believe it or not, doesn't tax social security. Doesn't tax certain pension income. So if that is the only way you're making money, then, and you're only concerned about taxes, income taxes, well, the state of California could be the place for you. But if you are somebody who says, no, I have a 401k that I'm pulling out or an annuity that is paying me each month or a pension from my old company, you have to look at the state's way of taxing your income. So for example, you say, Arif, I sold, I had a client who sold a, a lot of uh, waterfront, I won't say the, the area, but a lot of waterfront and uh, along a pier and all this real estate. His dad had it and he inherited it, him and his family. He sold it, got his portion. That's taxed. It's over. It's post-tax money. So if he takes that and goes to a place like Texas and says, I'm going to buy my property, beautiful home and in inside outdoor pool and on and on. If he decides he's going to do that, he took money that is done being taxed and went to a place with one of the highest property taxes. And his plan would be to buy a huge piece of property. Well, if that's the case, you don't want to be in a place with high property taxes. Do you follow me? Where, where is your, are you somebody that loves to spend money, right? You're always buying things, eating out, traveling. Maybe gasoline is the thing that you would look at to see in your case, I get it. Everybody complains about this or says Nevada is the place to go. But do you, do you know that car insurance in Nevada is really high? Thousands of dollars more a year, depending on the case, than California. So you have to, that's why if you drive on the 15 freeway in Vegas, you'll see every billboard, almost every billboard has an attorney. Did you get hurt in an accident? Did you get, did an Uber accident or Lyft? Did you get hit in ride sharing? Right on and on and on. Victim, victim, victim. You are, you deserve so it used to be in California until one of those propositions passed. I can't remember if it's 103 or 108. One was immigration. One was, uh, I think, insurance reform, whatever it might have been. 
But back then, we were in the same kind of boat. You could sue, oh, I hit my hand, and $5,000, $20,000 later. Nowadays, what is it? It's very simple. You look to the state that that lives the way you want to live. I want to live, Arif, on 40 acres. I want to raise chickens. I want to be out in the middle of nowhere. Great. How do you earn your income? Well, I, I have post-tax money. I have a Roth IRA. I have a life insurance policy that's paying me out. I have uh, uh, real estate that's depreciating and giving me income. Well, then you can live in a high income tax state because your income is exempt. But don't go to a high property tax state if you want a big farm with chickens and all sorts of things because you may end up paying more. So look carefully if you're somebody that wants to move as to where that place matches what you're looking for. All right? I want to make it clear. I hope I did because the goal here in the next hour is to answer your emails. Now, this is the specific emails that you have that a lot of people don't realize that come their way, right? When I say your emails, I mean, these are things that can be a little scary. When, when events happen later on in life, it can, it can be impactful to you and it can change your life. So we actually have some solutions uh, for you that I hope can help when tragedy, and it isn't always the tragedy you think of when they strike. Because where you live can depend on everything. So I started, remember I, I started the show saying, you know, I do these like informal surveys or I ask questions or I start gathering this data and it's not really, you know, a scientific survey. I get it, right? It's not as scientific as, oh, let's say mask wearing and COVID. <laughs> Silly me. <laughs> it's not that. It, it's it's uh, as scientific as I can get, meaning it's just my observations. And my observations kind of led me down a couple of things. And one of those is I've been trying to find over the last couple of years, what age bracket is the right age to move? Where, in other words, if you don't move out of the state or the city or, or, the, or the community you live in, by a certain age, you probably aren't going to do it, right? So I'm thinking it's a couple of things. Number one, it's probably right in the neighborhood of the 60s, early 60s. You can relocate retire at 62, 65, and be okay. Move. It's hard to move. It's hard to gather all the things you have. And certainly before that, it's easy to move as well. But I think once you get into your 70s, mid-70s, it makes it more difficult and probably impossible. So we have to settle in and prepare, if you're of that age bracket, of what, you know, wherever you are, whatever your situation is like. So that's my job. It's to sit down to kind of help you go over those things. Give me a call at 888-997-3847, 888-99-RETIRE. See if you can get on our calendar for a phone call or even a visit. I'd appreciate it. My name is Arif Hallaby. Stay with me. Your emails after the break. On the Total Financial Hour, this is AM870, The Answer. And I'm Arif Hallaby. We'll be right back. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn 
welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Eric Halby, Total Financial Hour. This, this is your life. We talk about, uh, I guess, getting out of debt, managing money, different things. Well, this hour is uh, set aside for your emails, sometimes interviews. Sometimes we have some great interviews. Um, I'm working on one that I think you just might, you really might appreciate. We'll see uh, if I can lock that down. It's always a scheduling concern. One of the things that I look at is trends. You've heard me say that I, I look at things in my office. I try to see patterns of behavior. Well, there is a trend that I noticed happening, at least in our little microcosm of clients, that is now a national trend or at least recognized as a national trend. And it is the graying of divorce, meaning divorce that was occurring a lot when women would walk out on their families when she was in her 30s because she was married when she was in her early 20s and now she's met somebody and left the man with two kids. That was pretty common, by the way. A lot more more common than people thought. You also had the man who would leave with his kids that were you know, usually early teens, late teens, walk out the door, leave his kids behind. Often, you know, there would be some sort of custody in both of those situations. And the kids would be damaged, no question about it. I mean, sometimes we're all damaged somehow, I guess, and we decide to, to uh, recover or not or to build off of it. But what happens in the graying of divorce? People that are married 30, 40 years, what happens when that takes place? Right When people suddenly, after 25, 30, 35 years, divorce, right? The graying meaning that they have gray hair. That's what it means when they're in their 50s and 60s instead of their 30s or 40s, right? Often it was the man who was in his 40s, the woman who was in her 30s that would walk away from a relationship. There's always exceptions and, and uh, you know different reasons. People that should have been married at 18, they're divorced at 20. I get it. I'm just talking about trends, about macro situations. Well, people forget when this happens in your 50s or 60s, there isn't a lot of time to fix things or correct things or make adjustments because it's, it's, the time is gone. So you have to really be careful, you're financially speaking, if that's the direction you're going to go so that you don't ruin the rest of your, your financial life when you retire. Big things change. Right there, there's family members that move in, that pass away. That there's divorces, and your parents that now you have to care for your mom and dad. Right? Sometimes the graying of divorce wasn't you, but it's your parents. Right? It's almost as if they passed away, except the benefits are cut in half. So I want to share with you an email that I received because I think this is something that can that can really impact you and make a difference, right? I just think it's something that happens and a lot of people forget that it impacts you and me differently, right? Men, women, differently. Okay, this is from Eileen. Dear Arif, I'm divorced after being married for nearly 30 years. I just brought my mom, who's 77 years old, to live with me and I'm concerned about her finances. I own my home and there is a room downstairs for her to live without having to use the stairs. My goal is to make sure she can have enough money to live on for the rest of her life. Her social security is only $900 a month. 
She was a housewife and raised us kids while my dad was a commissioned salesman. Most of his income was earned as a 1099 or what's called an independent contractor. She doesn't have any other expenses than her personal needs at the store when we go every week or so. I will be retired in the next couple of years. But meanwhile, my mom is spending her time alone at home. I'm worried that she doesn't have anything to do each day while I'm gone. She did receive my dad's life insurance policy for $250,000. Right now, that's just sitting in two different savings accounts. Do you recommend anything we can do with that amount? This is Eileen. Okay, guys, so you understand there's layers of things that are happening at the same time, right? You, you realize that some of this is, is taking place. Okay, so here's what's happening in uh, the numbers. I want you to be familiar with this. The amount of people that are divorcing in their, what is it, 50, 50 years old to 65, it has increased so substantially that there's now an entire, almost a doubling effect from 65 to 74. Meaning, if you took age 65 to 74, there's double the amount of divorces than for somebody in their 50s or somebody in their 40s. That's important. You know that. There used to be these divorces that would happen with 37, 42, 56 years of marriage because of medical, medical reasons, right? We would divorce so that they would qualify for benefits. Many of them divorced in name only, and they did so so that they could still be with each other, love each other, care for each other. But today, that's not really what's happening in the 60s, 65 to 74 years of age. And that's... That's what we're seeing, right? The 50s and 60s and 70s are, are seeing that increase. So Eileen is no different. She's right in that time frame, and it, it just happens. If you plan properly, if you have a good divorce family law attorney, right? child custody isn't an issue. Let me kind of explain this in a, in a basic manner. There's basically three things that happen in the divorce world. There's the dissolution of the marriage portion, so the actual marriage. Okay, that's one portion of a divorce. There's the financial division of assets. You get this house, I get that house. I get the car, you get the savings account, right? A division of the assets. That's often done through something called a DISO master. And to, to keep it brief, basically an attorney created this system, convinced the entire state of California judges and the court system to use it. And it's a plus minus of your assets, how many years you've been married, married, uh, who was working, was she a stay-at-home spouse, we'll give some credit there, we'll take away from here, we'll add there, plus minus, plus minus. And it puts all the assets into a system and then divides by two. Okay, that's the financial part. So that's the second, right? First is the actual marriage, second is the financial, third is the child custody. Okay, when you're Divorcing in your 50s, generally speaking, your kids are past the age of 18. That's why a lot of people have waited, by the way. A lot of folks wait till the last child is out of college or out of high school or out of the house. If you're a child, if you're a young person and, and your parents did that, I think you have to cut them some slack because they literally gave up their life and their happiness to ensure that you had a home. 
Maybe you knew it was fake in some respects. Maybe you knew that mom and dad weren't sleeping in the same room or in the same bed. Right? Maybe you knew that that other things were happening. But, you you know, give them a break here, man. They gave up a portion of the... They didn't walk. Like I have seen women in their 30s walk with two and three children left behind to go with uh, somebody younger and a tennis coach. Whoever it is, right? I've seen men walk with their families. You're like, wait a second, you, you're leaving your wife and these are your children. And you walk from them. Now, you, men and women that did that, you guys can still redeem yourself. Don't hate yourself forever. Don't unforgive yourself forever. Right? You, you can redeem yourself. You can fix things and get back on track, but it's still going to leave a scar. But that was pretty dumb of you to do that. Right? You have a commitment That doesn't mean as long as she looks a certain way or he makes a certain amount of money or he looks a certain way or or she acts a certain way. No, listen, minus the three A's, right? Dr. Lore is very clear on this. Minus the three A's, abuse, adultery, and addiction. I think then you have to get out for you or your children's safety. I get it. And I don't mean this, this word abuse is really taken on. I don't want to cross this line with you guys. But sometimes people say, oh, the way he talked to me, the voice went up. That's abuse. You're abusing me. Well, okay. Certainly there are verbal abuse. Guys, I've heard it. I I was a cop. Remember this. I was a policeman in apartments and homes and and have witnessed all these things. What I'm saying is sometimes people take it a little too far when when they call everything abuse. Everything's abuse. And then, then you dishonor. The, the true victims of real abuse. All right. So that's just my two cents on that. All right. Let me get back to Eileen. Let's talk about the difference in her parents, her, her mom's problem. Then I'm going to give you my solution for the 250,000. All right. Here's the difference. In her mom's case, the 1099 and W-2, what does that mean? If you're an independent contractor, it means payroll taxes are not withheld from your check. So your Schedule C That means an sole proprietorship, same thing. You're responsible for your own income taxes. You're responsible for your own payroll taxes. You don't just pay the 7.6% or so that the employee pays that you guys all pay now if you're an employee. You have to pay the other side of the equation, which is the employer. See, some of you don't realize when you go to work and you work for an employer, you're going to pay 7.625 about Well, your employer pays 7.625. That means 15.3% of your wages have to be withheld just in payroll tax, not including income tax. So when you're an independent contractor, if you don't know how to run the financial part of a business, I don't mean you're a great salesman selling whatever or a great businessman or woman in whatever, but you have to understand the financial part of things too. Set aside money for your taxes. Uh, understand your right deductions. Maybe you should become an S-Corp or, or another corporation, right? That's what your CPA, your tax preparer, your financial professionals, all of their jobs are to get together to make sure that you have the right structure for you. So in this particular case, he probably reported a lower income that was subject to payroll tax. Well, that is how you get social security. The more payroll tax you pay, the more social security tax you receive. And so when you pay lower payroll tax, then you get lower social security. That's why it's $900 a month at 77 years old. You can't live on that. 
Nobody can. I, I don't even know where you can live on that. Maybe in Mexico in a little village or a hut or something, right? Or South America somewhere. But you, you certainly, I don't know of any state or city you can live on $900 a month. So she's grateful. The mom should be grateful that Eileen is there for her. Okay, my, here's her goal. She says this, I'll restate it. My goal is to make sure she can have enough money to live on for the rest of her life. All right, that's very important. She raised her kids. Now it means that there's more than one. So I'm hopeful that there's another uh, sibling in there at least, at least one. But here's what I would do. There's a $250,000 limit on the FDIC or the National Credit Union Association. All right, both of those are insurance companies, if you will, on the bank deposits. So when you go to a bank and you put in money, remember it used to be 100000 for years, $100,000 per account. And then after 2008, 2009, they moved it to 250000 So now it's $250,000 per account that is insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. You know, it didn't say agency, didn't say governmental department. So it's a it's a quasi-governmental entity, but really the FDIC guys is an insurance company. That's why people say, well, I don't know if I trust my money with insurance companies. I'm like, you gave your money to a bank. Banks have way less money than insurance companies. Way less. In fact, banks have to use insurance companies. That's why annuities, that's why it's so funny when my financial professional says, your financial professional does not get paid if your money is not at risk. You guys understand that? You have to be at risk of losing your money for your financial advisor, Fisher, Jones, Edward, Schwab, it doesn't matter. For them to charge a fee, your money has to be at risk of being lost. If you're good with that, great, but just know what you're ga- the game you're playing. So many of you are playing a game you don't even know what you're playing. So would I recommend that she put money in the market at her income status and her age? Oh, heck no. I do not recommend that. Not even a little. So here's what my recommendations would be. Guys, of course, I have not met with her. I haven't talked with her, but here's some ideas in case some of this can work for you, right? You understand that my recommendations, my solutions on these emails are based on some general ideas. You got to meet with somebody. You got to discuss and find out their, their their details. All right, here's what I would what I do. I would split it into two different accounts. I would put $100,000 in a savings. I like credit union, maybe even CD type rates because you're earning pretty good interest rates right now. And she can earn a certain amount more money somewhere in the neighborhood of four or $5,000 more per year and still pay no income tax on that money. Follow me? So I would have her savings, some of it or all of it, go into a CD or some sort of a high interest guaranteed, five, four, five, six percent. She could earn that interest and it would all be tax-free. Why? Because her CPA is going to tell me how much she can make and pay no income tax on. It's about $13,000 a year. Pretty important. Tax-free money is good for everybody, except the government. (laughs) I would take $100,000 so that I could increase income, but I would do it probably in about, turn on the the income stream right, right around three years from now at age 80. 
So if $100,000 or so, that should give us between five and $600 a month, guaranteed, maybe more, guaranteed in three years from now. She turns it on. It can be there for her health care costs, other needs. If, if she does have health care issues, it could double to $1,000, $1,200, maybe $1,500 a month when she does need long-term care needs. So we now have increased the ability to bring in somebody to the house, at least part-time. So now her $900 a month becomes $2,000 a month. And we can bring in somebody to assist, right? Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever the case is, so that Eileen could have a break as a caregiver and mom could have quality care. I also like the idea of making sure that, look, in this particular case, Eileen, you're going to need, uh, you're going to need insurance, life insurance. I would probably do a 10-year term, but here's the reason. Because if something happens to you, Eileen, your mom is way out of luck. And she probably doesn't have the aptitude to manage a home. Let's say your home has a half a million or a million dollars in equity by the time you pass, if you pass before her, right? Things happen. We don't know. I'd want you to have a trust in place, a revocable living trust. Make sure your mom is cared for inside of that trust. Make sure you have the ability to have in that trust the funds to give her, to pay her electric bill, to pay the property tax, all the stuff that just never goes away, right? You could pay off the house, but again, electric bills, property taxes, they never go away. So I think you need to have some sort of life insurance policy for you. You could do a 10-year term. That would get mom to age uh, 87, maybe if a 15 or 20 year term. It just depends on your finances, but I'd want to protect mom there. Okay. Next. Think of her like a minor child, right? When you have children and they're one year old or two years old, eventually there's a horizon. It's kind of like a bubble that goes up and you don't need to care for them right? Now they're on their own. They're 18, 19, 20, 24, 27. Now they're married with kids. They have their own life, financially speaking, their own things to do, etc. I have three kids. They're all doing their own thing. Sometimes it's super sad for me. I mean, I'll tell you that. I don't know how often they listen to my show. Maybe they do. They've heard all 3000 of them probably by now. So, but it is sad, right? Now you're, now we're in our fifties and the kids are all on their own. Well, that means my wife did an amazing job. She did what she was supposed to do, which is to raise good human beings that can survive, pay taxes, live, exist, create. Well, that's the opposite with a parent. A parent only gets worse as far as their dependency and their needs. They don't go away eventually on their own. They're getting more and more and more dependent as time goes on, not less and less. So it's like a child that just never grows up. And because of that, you have to be prepared, right? Now they're fine. Do as many things as you can while she has her eyesight, her ability to walk, her, her mobility in general. Because a lot of people forget that, well, you, you know, the care is much more intensive financially speaking and otherwise. All right. So that gives you kind of an idea I have another uh, email at the bottom of the hour, but I want to touch on something for you as well. 
when we're talking about divorce and, and the family law practice, for many of you, it's inevitable. It's the way it is. It's, you've passed the point of no return, and, and my job is not to make you feel bad. But I do want you to prepare, right? You, you, just because you lived a certain way doesn't mean you have to always live that same way, right? I hear this with celebrity divorces or wealthy people that divorce all the time. You don't understand. We've been married 12 years. How can I live on less than $100,000 a month? I mean, child support needs to be $40,000 a month and you have to pay for their health insurance and their care, their, their health care, uh, their, their school, their, and on and on. But who can live on less than $100,000 a month? You've seen those celebrities or, or athletes or movie stars, right? They, they just don't know how, how can anybody live on less than. And by the way, I need to have first-class airfare paid for by you to go to all of my three houses across Europe and Aspen and, and Hollywood. <laughs> You've seen that. You're like, oh, I'm poor, poor baby. How can you ever go even in business or comfort? What is that economy comfort or comfort economy? How, 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 how do you do that? Poor baby. I think you should at least take on a, a private jet. So you see that. I always consider, because I've heard these both from the inside Right. And in the celebrity reported news, because we have clients that are there as well. And you go, all right, listen, I get it. A hundred thousand a month is a lot of money. But I think, look, in a divorce situation, it is your job to care for yourself. Right. I get it, especially if it wasn't your choice, especially if the addiction issue rears its head. I know some of you that's happened and it's horrible. And you're like, really, this is what I this is what I uh, signed up for was to deal with somebody who's got all these problems and they're not willing to get better and they have some character issues as well, okay, forget it. Then you got to flip. Got to become more fiscally responsible. And so how do we do it? Well, if you're going through a divorce, especially in your 50s, like in, in Eileen's case, right? what I want you to do is to consider taking basic accounting courses. Now, if you have not handled the family's finances before, this is very important. Right. Sometimes it's one spouse that handles most of the family finances and one spouse that maybe raises the kids or handles something else in the family. Maybe their real estate. One does the day to day. One does their investments. The part that you did not do, I need you to get a brush up on. It could be a community college class online. It could be a University of Oregon or Arizona State University. It doesn't have to be a local college community. It, I, what doesn't matter is the pedigree of the school or the degree that you would eventually get by staying in that course. That's not the business why we're trying to do this. We're trying to do this very simply for you to get the knowledge. Because once you have the knowledge of how to manage your family's finances, again, wherever you were not doing, whatever your weakness was, right? If he handled investments and you handled day-to-day, you need to understand the financial world of investments, etc. All right. That's part of it. The second thing is I need you to reevaluate all of your expenses because before they were able to be paid for by two paychecks, two social security checks, two income streams. So we need to reevaluate it. Now it's just me. What do I, what do I do to make sure that I can stay on track? Here's something else. And this was a, a, a recent friend of mine and we had to go through something very important, right? He became a father of three after his wife passed away. 
So now when you have three children that count on you, you have to focus on your health just a little bit more, don't you? Because you can't have them lose a second parent because you decided to get a little overweight or not watch your cholesterol or not watch your drinking or your smoking or whatever it is. It's time for that reality check to say, well, you know what? I'm going to have to change this part of my life. Whether it's the weight, whether it's what you're eating or both, etc. right? So the component of this part is this is a chance. This is a road that has an intersection. Left, right, keep going. But it's a stop sign. And use this divorce, use this separation as a chance to stop at the stop sign. While you're stopped, you think, you evaluate, you reevaluate. Well, before we were going down this road and we were going to keep going straight, but it's not us anymore. It's me. And I would prefer to make a left turn here, not, not to keep going straight. So I'm going to reevaluate my life. Again, whatever it is, financially or physically, men mentally, whether you're going to stay in your home, whether you're going to sell it. I want to encourage many of you that have amazing interest rates, 2 3%, so you know who you are, to consider not selling that house ever, especially if you have children that are going to inherit it. I want them to receive it. Very important. Here's the reason. Because kids receive your home and all the equity tax-free. Under current law, they do not pay income tax on the two, three, five hundred thousand. Maybe when you pass away, it's $2 million equity. Here it is. So what would be that stop sign? What are some of the things you have to do with that stop sign? Do I, am I going to keep this home? Do I want to rent it out? Now I need to go and take classes on how to be a good landlord. What does it mean? What are the rules? We're in the city that I, that I have my rental property in the state, etc. Right? Maybe I don't like this city rule, so I'm going to transfer to another city or state as far as the rental go. See what I mean? All these things are on the table. And if you become blessed to be able to care for a parent, and yes, it's a blessing. Not all blessings are easy. But if you have that honor, man, what I would give to care for my dad still who's passed. Right? You understand? So if you have that honor, what you do is very simple. You step up. Stay with me after the break. I have another email. This one is exciting because this is somebody who did it right. And we'll see if we can help them. I'm Eric Hallaby, 888-997-3847. AM870, The Answer. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Hey, welcome to the show. Appreciate you staying with me. This is Arab Halaby on the Total Financial Hour. Second hour of a second uh, segment of our second hour. Got to say that straight. Second segment of our second hour. Look, this is part of uh, your emails. Here's how you get a hold of me. If you want to send me an email, I'll answer it. Sometimes just directly to you. Uh, if you don't want it read on the air, sometimes you guys say that and just want to, would like a, a quick little summary or a phone call or something like that. I appreciate it. We can do that. But uh, get, let me give you my email address. It's Arif, A-R-I-F, Arif, at 
T as in Tom, F as in Frank, S as in Sam, so TFSWealth.com. So TFS, total, T, uh, T, <laughs> T stands, I want to say Tom, Frank, Sam, that's our police lingo back in the day. TFSWealth, as in a lot of money.com. All right. So many of you have come up with ideas about, uh, or, or little tricks, I guess, that you've learned along the way, financially speaking. And, and I like it because I think in your life, you've built this strategy of, well, I'll give you a good example. We have a, a particular client who every Sunday goes through his entire financial accounts. This bank account has this much, the, the investments are this much, and him and his wife put together an entire spreadsheet and it's weekly. Now they don't make any money anymore really uh, as far as work goes because they're retired and they don't really add any money from any other investment. They don't spend any money except for just the, the day to day. They're not. So why do they do it when the changes are so minor, you know, uh, dollars, hundreds, probably in some cases, maybe thousands depending on their balances, but, but why do they do it weekly? Well, number one, I appreciate that because I like people that pay attention. I like it when people pay attention to their financial life because not everybody does. And they wake up one day at age 50 or 60 or 70 and surprise, you can't retire financially or surprise, you have way more money. You could have stopped working. You hated your job. You needed to be with your family and you could have done this three years ago, right? So some people have no idea. So that's our job. It's to get in there and to be that person for you and say, here's what I think we can create based on what you have right now at this time. And here's what I think we can create in five years or two years or 10 years, whatever the time is. Do you realize how important that is to have somebody give you with pretty darn good certainty, here's the number per month that I think you can expect to, and then you say, well, that's not enough to live. I go, great. Well, then here's some strategies. Here's some four or five or six things you can do to make sure that it's more money. Or here are some things you can do to make sure you can retire sooner. Sometimes that's the case. I go, great. Based on the track that you're you're on, you could retire at 69 years old. They said, but Eric, I want to retire at 65. I say, okay, well, if that's the case, then you got to realize we're going to have to make some changes here, some big changes, not little changes. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I found out early. So in this process of you deciding when to retire, you've heard me say this over and over again. I'm going to bring it up just for some of you that are new listeners. We're getting new listeners all the time. I really appreciate it. There's tens of thousands of you now paying attention and listening to our show. It makes us, uh, certainly humbles me to think that we are in such an honorable position to help you care for some of your retirement money. Uh, that matters a lot, uh, more than you'll ever know. It's hard to say. You know, I've heard people say things like that before, but I get it now. Uh, it's a humbling and a, and a real honor to be part of your financial life. Okay, so here's why I think this is important to understand. Because for most people in your financial life, there's either an embarrassment that you should have more or of a, a financial failure, right? That happens. All of us, myself included, we all have made dumb investments or bad financial decisions over the, our lifetime. But it's also a time when you can see whether or not your, your, your strategy is working. And so you've heard me talk about purpose before. 
for many people, they don't have a purpose outside of investing. So they, they, they consume themselves with the, the financial world, with the saving for retirement, with the investments, with the annuities, with savings, with CDs. They consume themselves with it as if that's their purpose, as just accumulating a bunch of zeros on a piece of paper or a computer screen. My point is, I don't want that to be your, your legacy. You, you have a skill that somebody else gives you. God, universe, whatever you might think of, I think God gives you a skill. The biggest lie you could ever have been told is do what you love and the money will follow. But Eric, the job doesn't make me happy. Who cares? You make yourself happy. If you think a job or a person or a career is supposed to make you happy, you are sorely mistaken. Nobody can make you happy or make you sad. I mean, I can get you angry. For a minute, right? I can punch in the arm. Ow, what did you do that for? Okay. But true happiness is an internal thing. It's not an external thing. Right? Why is it that uh, that Gandhi or Mother Teresa had true happiness and joy in their life? And yet they're not interchangeable. They're different. I get it. But if it was about stuff, they didn't have any stuff. But if it's about purpose, oh, now we're talking. You don't have to have a purpose as noble as Mother Teresa or Mahatma Gandhi. You don't. But you can have a purpose that's greater in your life today than, than yesterday or tomorrow than last, last week. And so if you're going to consume yourself with gathering statements and checking dollars, I get it. I want you to have a, an understanding that's important. But I also want you to realize this. Your financial life is much more than about th- th- than a bunch of zeros, right? It's about impacting you and your world and making a difference. God gave you a skill. Do what you're good at. Do what people will pay you for. Then be great at investing and saving and planning all the things that we can help you with, right? Strategies for income later on, all of those things. So that when the time comes and you say, and now I'm going to do what I love. Great. That's what your left hand does. Your right hand was all the savings, investments, rental properties, whatever you and your financial team put together. And your money comes in every day there. And your time is spent over here. Oh, but they don't pay very much money. doesn't matter. I have my wealth creating income. So that's the purpose, right? Your wealth creates income. So many people think it's a job that's supposed to create income. No, a job is, is supposed to create existing. A job is supposed to create something that allows you the freedom to spend your time gathering experience, building a life, financially speaking. But just today very difficult to build anything long-term unless you're talking 40 or 50 years with the city or the county, right? Because most people don't have a purpose except their job. So they stay there and they say, oh, but the, the city says if I work till 60, I get this percentage. But if I work to 65, boy, the percentage increases so much more. So it's this carrot. They keep it. Come on a little further, a little further, a little further. So that when you pass away, the pension system does not have to pay you. That's the whole purpose for, for these pensions to, to pay you more money to stay longer because the revenue that they pay you, the dollars they pay you come from the payroll account. The payroll account for the city is different or the county or the state is different than the pension account. 
the pension account is sorely upside down. Difficult. That's why this lie that people say, oh, well, the teachers, it's by law the state has to fund it. Well, until they change the, ready for this, law. Oh, but Eric, they won't. Oh, you're telling me they won't? Really? You, you, you think so? You think the state of California says, and we're completely bankrupt, but gush, gosh darn it, those teachers still have their pension. We have no money for new bridges. The roads are a mess. The schools are dilapidated. But those teachers that retired four years ago that are hanging out in Fiji, boy, we're going to make sure they get their 5.5% pay raise this year. You really think the state and the teachers that are existing that are 36 years old with two kids, divorced, you think they're going to say, I can't wait to put in 40% of my pay so that the past educators, look, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I think you bust your tails, most of you educators. I get it. My, my, my point is, you're playing a game that is never going to finish properly. There just isn't money. It is a math game. That's it. One plus one is two. I can have the school district pass a law that one plus one is six. And we can all pretend. But eventually, people are going to say, well, really, one plus one is two. Just called gravity. It's a law. It's a number. It's a game. Simple. So I'd like you guys to focus on what it takes for you to be able to retire. Because you're going to tell me that the man or woman who stay at home, who worked hard, who had their small business, who worked for a company without a pension, you're going to go to those men and women and say, for the 5 or 6 or 7% of California retirees that, that are teachers, that are educators, all of you other people have to pay more in taxes so they can have a pension that's ninety-seven grand a year. $150,000 a year. You're telling me the guy that makes 60000 a year barely gets by is going to give you more money, more, more of his or her taxes so that you can have your $11,000, $12,000, a month pension? You don't think that stuff's going to hit the news and people somewhere are going to say something's wrong? And there's going to be a revolt. I'm telling you, you have to prepare and plan. That's why you have to take care of yourself. Because although we have thousands of listeners on our show, the word isn't really getting out much as how messed up the pension systems are. And just because I'm focusing on educators now, it doesn't mean the other folks are not having a problem too. Right? There's 350 to $400 billion upside down with a B. That means they need this high number. They have way down here is what they actually have saved. And the difference between those two, ready for this? That's $350 billion. And it's worse. Because when I started 27 years ago, my first research in the pension world, because I was working with the LAPD pension at the time, the police department. And I remember looking at it and the, the, the state teacher's retirement system was around six, six, the number six billion upside down. That was 27 years ago. Today, we're $350 billion upside down. When I tell you they will never fix it, never, it cannot be fixed. Well, why, Irv? Very simple. Nobody wants to. Not with their actions, anyway. They say with their mouth, oh, we're going to fix the law. Let's pass the law. Let's check a box. Everybody, let's go to vacation. Take a look at what your union members, your union leaders, rather, 
do for their travel, how they go to Hawaii on your money. They go to Las Vegas conferences on your dollars. They spend your union dollars. Look at the junk. And they're stealing from you, the educators. And then, of course, the taxpayer, because they're going to have to make up the difference. And, of course, you, who are the 30 and 40-year-old teachers who are still have another 15 or 20 or 30 years left of working, because you're going to have to put in more money. While this 50 or 60-year-old somebody who, who's a union leader is spending your money on gas and expenses and phony stuff, right? Something's wrong somewhere. I don't know what it is. I don't have that investigative team. But I think you have to protect yourself. I just don't think there's enough people that care about fixing it. Everybody wants to take their piece of the pie. And I will promise you this, to a person, those leaders in the union world, right? I, I don't mean the, the workers. I don't mean the teachers. But the union leaders, to a person, they will retire outside of the state of California. They might keep a house here, but they definitely have a home somewhere else. They just have too much money. They, they know they're not dumb. They know how math works. They know the state of California is not on their side, ta tax-wise or fiscally speaking. So I, I think they're going to leave. All right, so here's what I have uh, for you that I think is a pretty darn good email. All right. Dear Arif, my husband and I are both in our late 60s, and he just sold his business and retired. I have a pension from the school district for $1,900 a month, and my Social Security check is $2,000 a month. My husband's Social Security check is $1,100 a month. That totals $5,000. We need about $8,000 a month to live comfortably. We sold the business and netted a total of $980,000 after all the taxes were paid. I wanted to keep about $100,000 liquid and available just in case we need it. But our goal is to travel through Europe and maybe take a cruise. We may inherit some money someday in the future from his aunt, but I'm not sure if, he, if she will leave it to, to my children or to my husband directly. Well, my goal is to have that money go to our kids someday. Any thoughts on how much of the proceeds of the sale of my husband's business that I need to put into an account in order to receive that extra $3,000 per month? Okay, it's signed anonymous. All right, let's think about this. Let me explain a couple of things. Her and her husband are in their late 60s. He just sold his business and retired. She has a pension from the school district for $1,900 a month. My, my guess is she was what's called a a classified employee, meaning she probably was not Cal Sturs. She was Cal Pers maybe, or she worked in a place where she put money in both because some, some pensions, by the way, uh, if you only put into the school district pension, you do not receive social security. But if you do put into the school district pension and you put into social security, you can receive both. And based on the dollars, the dollar figures, the numbers that I see, she probably had a job with a school district that was not as a teacher and put money into both things, both as a teacher, uh, sorry, both as a, a pensioner and both, uh, and, and social security. So I'm thinking she put money into both places. Husband's social security is 1100 a month. Now this is important. 
I just talked about this. When you work for a small business or your own company, you can almost, within reason, decide how much you're going to pay Social Security on. Those taxes, right? When you are both, when you are the employer and the employee, right? You own the business. You're going to pay both taxes, both sides of it. The employer portion and the employee portion. That's a lot of money. So what he did is he limited it. That's why it's $1,100 a month. Not a lot. But I think his exit strategy, his goal someday was to sell that business. And whenever you hear the word gross or net, what is your paycheck gross? Gross is the big number. Net is what you receive. The way I kind of make it simple uh, to remember is, is like this. I go, okay, what if I have a net and I'm going fishing and I lay my net out, what do I receive after, you know, after I pull the net out of the water? Well, some things are going to fall through the holes. That's called taxes. It's kind of a weird analogy, but it works. Uh, you, you, you bring your fishing net out of the sea. Whatever is left in that is yours. That's net. Okay, everything else fell back into the ocean for another day. In your particular case, when you netted, which means after all the taxes. So that means you probably sold your business for a lot more. And now you have $980,000 in your pocket. That's a lot of money. Great job. I'm, I'm agreeing with you that at least $100,000 liquid. I would probably have more. So here's my solution to receive $3,000 a month guaranteed for the rest of both of your lives. Now, you you said this, guys, that you're in your late 60s. So I'm, I'm going to do both of you at 65. I know that's mid-60s. But if I plan that way and you have more money left over at the end or you can earn, then great. I don't want you to be short on the other side, right? I don't want to make a mistake and go too low. Okay, so I like $750,000 going into a fixed indexed annuity. So three quarters of a million, 750, into a fixed indexed annuity with a bonus. And that'll get you more than $3,000 a month, but, but let's just call it $3,000 a month. Now, you can leave an additional $230,000. Basically, it sets aside more than double of what you wanted for travel and expenses. That's one option. A second option is to split that 750000 into two buckets. One, $500,000 fixed index annuity with a bonus. That'll get you just under probably between 2500 and 3000 2500 2700 a month. And I could use a quarter of a million, the other two fifty, into an indexed universal life. You've heard, if you're on the web or you're listening to guys and gals talk about it, it's a, it's a great tool. We've used it in the past, but it has to be built properly. When these are built for the benefit of the financial professional or the insurance salesman, they're not always built for your benefit. I like them to have a, a squished down, right? If the purpose of that account is tax-free income in retirement, then we have to bring down the death benefit, right? Instead of a million dollars death benefit, maybe it's 600 or 500, whatever the number is, but we bring it down. Now, if you say, no, Arif, my income is fine. It's not for tax-free income in retirement. The goal is long-term care. The goal is uh, passing it on to my wife or my children because when I die, there's some debts or when I die, some income goes away. I have to replace that. Boom. Now we get a higher death benefit. But when there's this one-size-fits-all story, that's kind of when we come in and, and have fixed some of the, the messes up. All right. So if the goal is tax-free income for you, or a tax-free death benefit to the kids. Remember, they receive real estate. 
and life insurance tax-free. So the home that you guys live in after both of you have passed away and life insurance. So if you were to inherit money from your aunt, maybe that's what you put into the life insurance policy. So, so you get a force multiplier, right? If both of you are reasonably healthy, you can put in a hundred thousand and receive, let's say 150 or 200,000 in death benefit. And that hundred thousand, instead of going to the kids or you, and they have to pay taxes on the interest as it grows, they get 150,000 tax-free effective immediately if they took it out, right? Or if, if you passed. But if you're alive and you need the funds, well, great. Now we have long-term care type expenses, right? It's not, it isn't pure long-term care uh, insurance because that's a special category, but at all intents and purposes, it acts just the same. They give you income. They give it to you for three, four years or more, depending on what you get and how much you need, et cetera. So it gives you some really great experiences. So that's what I would do. I like the idea of kind of keeping in multiple places, right? I like the idea of keeping in multiple options of what you can do with the funds, right? It means it matters to me. What's the job of the money? And I'd like it if you have more than 100,000 set aside for emergencies, unless... Part of that $8,000 a month goes into your savings account because that's important. What if you're making $8,000 a month and you only spend $7,500? Well, that's great. You can save $500. That's how you pay for your prop, uh, property tax. That's how you pay for your Christmas presents or Hanukkah presents or, or birthday presents. Right? The, the special thing, if your food, shelter, clothing, your expenses are $8,000, then we're going to need more than that anyway because we have to pay for those once a year or annual expenses. Right, we have to. So I'd like to have more than a hundred thousand set aside for that. Maybe it's two hundred, maybe two thirty. But in my, my formula here, it's probably right in that two thirty number. All right, pretty important. All right, guys. So I want to give you my email address again. It's Arif at tfswealth.com. Arif A R I F at TFS stands for T Total Financial Solutions, but TFSWealth.com. And TFS Financial Insurance Services. That's what that's what who we are. That's what we do is kind of keep you focused on the right things, which is retirement, staying away from some of these DEI and and uh, I guess really critical race theory. You know what's interesting is I started seeing this pushback from BlackRock. Right, we've uh, divested countless dollars. I don't know millions and millions and millions of dollars, probably thirty million dollars, something like that, from BlackRock. Twenty million. Lots of money. And we're just one little firm. 20 million means nothing to BlackRock. But I know across the spectrum, other uh, financial professionals, other colleagues of mine have moved their funds away from BlackRock. So surprise, what did BlackRock do recently? Oh, era, well, they didn't say my name. They said, oh, uh, financial professionals, we're no longer going to focus so heavily on this DEI and CRT and uh ESG stuff where this uh, environmental social score uh, mechanism is put in place. We're going to change our mind. Folks, your standing up works. I don't shop at Kohl's. I don't shop at Target. Right? Look, if I'm in the middle of a desert and the only place to go is Target, then I'll go to Target. I'm not stupid. But I don't wear Nike tennis shoes because you support a guy that says police officers are pigs. 
and, and you stand up for this defund the police. I get it. Nike, do it. I'm not. I threw away my Nike tennis shoes. I don't want to walk around and advertise. Even if they're old tennis shoes, I get it. I paid for it. But are you going to stand up? Because good people have to do something against evil, not just stand up for righteousness or the right thing. But you got to sit on these boards. You have to stand up against these people, right? Thanks for listening, guys. Arif Hallaby, 888-997-3847. That's my phone number. This is AM870, The Answer, The Total Financial Hour. TFS Financial Insurance Services. Appreciate it. Have a great week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.